This is Decentralized, the Decentralized Trials and Research Podcast. We gather here with friends and guests to talk about the latest ways to make research and clinical trials around the world more inclusive, more accessible, more resilient, and more sustainable, all by using decentralized methods. This podcast is recorded live on Clubhouse every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern, on the TGIF DCT show at the Decentralized Trials Club. You can join the live sessions and add your voice every Friday at noon Eastern time with the free Clubhouse app by following the Decentralized Trials Club. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to get notified of new episodes. Following the club and subscribing will also help you stay current for any of the bonus content we may drop. And now it's time to decentralize. Well, I'd say just another minute, but while we're waiting for folks to join us here today, why don't we jump in with some introductions? Uh, so today's topic was brought to us by uh, Artie, founder and CEO of Seekster. Today's topic is, is near and dear. We're going to be talking about uh, can patients bring their EHR data into prospective trials? Why is that meaningful and important, in particular in decentralized trials? What's the impact? What's the use case and, and rationale? What are some of the tools and methods for making that happen? The collaborations that are forming? To help fuel that, what are the barriers and challenges that remain? So I'm really excited to get this topic going, to hear different voices. Amir, do you have any uh, any uh, thoughts as we get this one going? You know, I've spent the last couple of days actually at a meeting around data and healthcare with lots of companies uh, from the ecosystem here. And it's just fascinating all the challenges we've had. And I think once we get going with Ardi and Marjorie, we'll dig into of some of the uh, companies trying to help with this, but we, I think we're all painfully aware of the issues we have in terms of data silos, etc. So I'm looking forward to digging in and hearing from everyone around that. Yeah, I think you're right that this gets very um, visceral and personal for people who uh, are in our circle here with chronic conditions, for people in our circle who are caregivers of loved ones with chronic conditions, and of being able to access our own data for our own use and good is is very real. Why don't we get our, our this conversation going? Artie, you helped to bring this topic to us. Introduce yourself for the audience. Share a bit about where you're coming from. Why did you want to set this topic up for us today? Sure. Thanks so much, Craig and Amir. Great to hear your voice as always. Hope you are feeling well. Um, first off, um, I'm Artie Ariampour, CEO and founder of Seekster. Uh, we founded Seekster in 2016 um, for this topic. You know, how can patients really collect and own and share all their health data in one place? And when we um, thought about this back in 2016, even though decentralized trials have been around for a long time and no one knows that better than Craig Litsit here, um, we weren't thinking about how, um, it would actually interact within the decentralized trial space until the pandemic hit. And then everyone I think that's on this call that's part of decentralized trials or has interest um, probably understood that the pandemic 
um, accelerated digital health and remote patient monitoring and decentralized trials in so many ways. I personally um, had some family issues with my dad of recent who we ran a tumor board um, right before the pandemic and into the pandemic um, in six hours and got him into surgery by using our operating system to collect all his data um, as his caregiver, as obviously his older son, and um, more importantly, as the CEO of Seekster, having access to this sort of technology saved my dad's life. And it's a really clear cancer use case. I know Marjorie has various different use cases and real life examples that she can share from her side and Salesforce's side. But more importantly, the reason why I thought about this topic is because there's nothing else that we actually think about. Um, day in and day out, we try to find creative, innovative ways into um, bringing not just patient-centric models together with pharma, CROs, and um, our space within decentralized trials, but more importantly, how do you put the person, the patient, at the center of their healthcare in order to disrupt all the data silos? And how do you create a longitudinal health record? That is um, something really dear to me, um, my family, to our company. And it's something that we have been um, really leading the way in the industry. And I couldn't be more um, uh, honored to be on this call with all the great folks such as Amir, Marjorie, and I think now we got, what, 65 or so folks that have joined on this call. So, Adi, let me just jump in for a minute. You know, uh, as you know, I met you very early on. And in fact, recently on social media, there was a picture of Adi very unusually without his Seeks the Brand t-shirt. I was kind of, it was amazing. I've never seen him since, you know, without his cool t-shirts and stuff he has. But I, what I sort of made me think was, you know, when Adi actually presented at CNS Summit, that Seeks the was still in stealth, really. And uh, at that time, uh, I just want to understand, you know, it's, it's very easy to be skeptical about a startup because, you know, there's probably a million startups trying to fix healthcare, right? And there's a, some skepticism with the cluster that we're in with the US healthcare system. How could just one small startup even have make a dent? So uh, if you could dig in a little bit into maybe a little bit of your background, either before Seekster and why, you know, you thought that you had this crazy idea that possibly just a couple of people could even begin to solve what, what seems to be some people an impossible situation. It seems kind of, it's almost delusional at the time that, you know, you might have thought that, right? So I'm just curious about your experience with that and your background and why you think it's possible even to try and fix this issue. Yeah, thanks so much, Amir. And it's so funny. Well, maybe we can first, you know, chit chat a little bit about the, the Seekster gear and outfit. I can't tell you guys how many times I get pinged on email or LinkedIn. Uh, can I get a shirt? Can I get a hat? Can I get your jacket? When is it going to be up on NFT? It's, it's just so funny. But um, uh, Amir and I were just at uh, the beautiful Alzheimer's event um, gala just two weeks ago in San Diego. And he's referring to the fact that um, I was in a tux and I don't usually go anywhere without my green shoes. I still had my new green shoes on, but um, I was in a tux and you'll rarely see me outside the Seekster outfit, even on Clubhouse. When I was setting up my account, as you can tell, 
everyone has, you know, uh, regular pictures other than our good friend here, Chris DeLuca, um, has an emoji just like me, but, um, I, I try to keep my outfit on somehow on the clubhouse even. So, but, um, yeah, it goes back to, you know, I spent, um, 15 years in DNA sequencing. Um, I, uh, my team and I actually pioneered the clinical exome test back in 2010 when people didn't even know what genome sequencing was. I was one of the first people to be genome sequenced at a very young age in my um, late 20s when I became a um, biotech executive um, out of San Diego here, just being at the right place at the right time. But um, I learned a lot about data being siloed through my genomic expertise. And being a geneticist by training, um, you learn a lot about what DNA actually cannot do. Now, DNA was very interoperable. And what I mean by that, no matter what um, clinical diagnostic test we were launching um, back in the early two, 2000s to the 2010s, um, that data was just ATCG. And so my team and I had looked at over, I would say, a million DNA samples launching rare disease, um, oncology, both somatic and hereditary clinical diagnostic tests. Um, we were part of a big initiative um, that fought Marriott Genetics in, in, in federal court. And we were part of the SCOTUS decision in 2013 that freed gene patents. And if I was not a part of that, Seekster would not exist. I wouldn't have been on this call today. You know, um, it was kind of a domino effect. But um, my whole point on this is the fact that we are able to come look at this, not being from health tech, not being from pharma, not being from, you know, the industry. And I think sometimes um, you cook up the best dishes when you actually are not trained being the chef, you know, for that um, uh, culinary experience that you're trying to give. So uh, if we knew how hard this was going to be, Amir, uh, you've heard this from me uh, many times at, you know, private calls that we've had. We would never have done it. It is such an incredibly difficult, um, painful problem, not just for patients, but for the engineers and the companies that are trying to work on this problem. It is very difficult. It's healthcare's number one problem. It's a $35 billion ballooning annual problem Um stated by McKinsey, and that those are numbers from 2019. I don't even know what it is post-pandemic now, but interoperability of data, whether that be EMR, EHR data, or um, your wearable data, your social determinants of health data, your pharmacy data, um, how do you get all this together? And so um, with Seekster, um, we wanted to uh, put the person at the center, and it was all about seeking health data, but as now you know my background a little bit, having spent 15 years in building a billion dollar company and selling that to Konica Minolta, um, which was Amber Genetics, um, before starting Seekster, gave us, I guess, <laughs> the guts and glory to uh, go after this. And um, I always knew that it was special. I just didn't know how many people would be interested in our technology and our operating system such as Salesforce that we have on this call with Marjorie. But more importantly, we would not be here if it wasn't for that CNS summit. 
And for those of you that don't know about CNS Summit, you should definitely look into it. Um, we will be there later this year. And um, we were in pseudo stealth. And other than the tux wearing two weeks ago, um, I was in a suit. And you can find the video of 2017 when we were still in stealth. And Amir called me up and said, uh, when we showed him our first you know, demo of our platform, he said, this is great for the innovation group. There's three companies that are going to present. There's this company called Metable. I forgot what the other company was. And Artie, do you want to present? So um, we're very grateful to that. And um, I think it was a watershed moment for CNS and also for Seekster, for patients, for research, because we were able to demonstrate back then what we're really talking about today. And we've progressed so much um, since then. And last thing I just want to state, if you can't hear it in my voice, I've been doing this since, you know, six and a half years ago. Um, takes a lot of energy to do this. But the reason why we do it is because we've captured lightning in a bottle. And I really believe health data is medicine. It's not just about how can patients bring their EHR data into decentralized trials. It's way beyond that. Health data is medicine. And I've been able to do that for strangers, for my own father, um, and um, many other people in my family. And so I'm just grateful to just be a messenger here. Health data is medicine. I can't, I can't uh, agree with that more. For folks uh, that know me, I'm, I'm the vice president of the, of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. I spend a fair amount of time in the rare disease community and completely agree with that sentiment that people's ability to manage, own, and control their health data um, is critical for them, not just for empowerment and improving research, but improving their own care and their outcomes. So uh, that is a, a great sentiment. Hey, Marjorie, welcome. Let's uh, get you off of mute. Let's uh, let's learn a little bit about your background and what uh, what brought you in with this particular topic. Well, thank you, Craig. First of all, I want to uh, shout out to Artie. It's been great pleasure working with him this past couple of years. Uh, for those that don't know me, um, my name is Marjorie Tansronson. I work for Salesforce. I'm in my eighth year now, doing a lot of innovation work within our product and solution engineering groups. And uh, Amir, I'm so glad to hear you're speaking from Half Moon Bay. So I, am, um, I live right in El Granada, uh, so not far from Half Moon Bay. I bike to Half Moon Bay quite a bit as well. Not a bad um, place for you to live, for sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I'm here because, you know, I'm also very passionate in the healthcare and uh, space, especially um, around, you know, um, patient rights, uh, consented data, and what can be leveraged from there in terms of insights that could help caregivers like Artie and myself. I've been a caregiver to both my parents. I'm originally from Singapore. And during the time in 2018, I was doing a lot of uh, traveling back and forth between the States and Singapore just to um, take care of my father who was going through a serious uh, illness, cancer in the, in the stomach. And um, at that time, you know, I was working on a payvider um, account and also working on uh, similar work around, you know, uh, personalized care. So I really understood 
when I saw Artie's uh, platform, it kind of like, kind of light bulb just went on, you know, that lightning in the bottle, because I could have used that platform to handle a lot of the insights with the care that was dealing with the different providers uh, for my father. So that was really um, uh, a moment for me to do something good for the community, especially for caregivers and also for myself, because I've been also um, diagnosed with a condition and I had consented rights to the provider to provide information that would help with research, but I haven't been able to see where that information was being used to help in respect to a, a, you know, a study or anything of that nature. So, I mean, those two areas are personal, um, how would I say, uh, needs that I see valuable in, in terms of the platform that Seekster offers. And where Salesforce, where we offer is, you know, we, we are great with the engagement layer and the platform to work uh, closely with uh, Seekster. And uh, we are providing a lot of value for our customers in that respect. And yeah, does that help you, Greg? Absolutely. Craig? Absolutely. So what I'd love to do is to draw a line here for people um, and connect some dots. So our room is themed around decentralized trials. This today's topic is a vast topic that hits on interoperability, improved patient care, improved outcomes. But at its core, this is about the ability for people to be able to access and control their electronic health record data and share it in different ways. Artie, as you think about decentralized trials and this intersection with patients being able to access, control, share data, what are some of the use cases that people Nadia, we might have lost Craig for a second. Um, can I also ask before you do that? Um, not, I'm assuming, honestly. I mean, I know since the summit, you know, launch, you really have been pretty much to every meeting around the world to talk about Sixter. So I'm hoping most people know about it. But just in case, can you give us a very brief kind of explanation as well, why is this platform different? And uh, I think obviously it goes way beyond EHR. So if you could do that as a primer briefly before you talk about Craig's question, that'd be very helpful. Absolutely. Yes. Um, <clears throat> thanks so much, Craig. And hopefully you can hear us. And thanks, Amir, for that. So I think one thing is um, we're not a platform. That's how we're different. There's only one Seekster. And the reason why there's only one Seekster, because this was a, a, a operating system that was built by patients for patients. And um, we figured out, obviously, the business model on this, as I say, we're leading the you know, healthcare technology company that breaks down data silos at scale. And our enterprise SaaS operating system aggregates disparate health data sources into a single um, 360 degree view of a patient in real time. Now, you know, when you peel the onion back on what I just said, that solves a multitude of challenges for life sciences, patient engagement, and data interoperability. Because at Seekster, you know, we started with the 
premise of putting the patient, like I said, at the center. And we kept to that mission since this morning. Um, it'll, it won't be any different tomorrow. It won't be any different next year and, and many years to come. But what we've done is we've achieved nationwide coverage of all of the electronic health records from hospitals and medical groups, as well as every single genomic DNA, um, whether that's genotyping results, exome results, whole genome sequencing results, as well as um, you know pharmacy data, 400 plus wearables, um, your social determinants of health data, as I said. And we have this white label approach where you know, we can um, provide accelerated access to de-identified, tokenized, real-time data. And anyone that's looking at real-world data or real-world evidence right now is not only interested in this, but it is the biggest pain point that we solve. And um, that comprehensive, you know, real-time data addresses critical needs across the overall healthcare continuum. I know that uh, a lot of people that know about Seekster, you know, we're backed by top 10 pharma companies and um, have lots of use cases there, but it's not limiting to just pharma companies. Um, there's a lot of um, patient registries that we're empowering, such as the National Pancreas Foundation. In two weeks, actually, we are running the DDW, which is the um, Digestive uh, Drug Week um, Symposium that's going to be here in San Diego. And um, that's all sponsored by NPF and a bunch of other nonprofits. I think um, patient registries have been around and Craig knows about them better than most. And he'll probably be the first to tell you that patient registries, what they're missing is that engagement with the data piece. And that's what we can bring to the community. That's what we can bring to the clinical studies. That's what we can bring to decentralized trials. That's what we can bring to healthcare in general. And then lastly, I would say that um, the use cases, there's one big use case. Um, for those that have worked on rare disease, whether you're a parent or a family member that has dealt with um, rare disease, um, you know, I spent a lot of time on diagnostic odysseys with the exome sequencing with my past team. And so um, we had incredible interactions with families and genetic counselors and things of trying to get data in one place. And it's such a big burden and challenge. And so with Seekster, we discovered with a very large partner that we become the digital binder for patients. Um, on the oncology front, uh, you know, my dad's use case is a clear example. We can run a tumor board um, in minutes. It's it's incredible. This is not. I want to get, get really specific here. So, um, for example, how can patients who have their data in Seekster use that data to find and learn about a clinical trial? How can a patient who has found a trial and is going through the rather lengthy screening and eligibility process have that accelerated by bringing their health data in themselves yeah great question source and, and that all depends how can the future of e-source and electronically sourcing 
our study data be accelerated when patients are bringing their EHR data in? And in particular for decentralized, why is it particularly important and meaningful that we're doing this through patients because the investigator in a decentralized trial might not have an EHR with, with vast data on their own about me as a participant. Yeah, and I think it's um, because you need to have an operating system that can bring the patient, the data, and the trial to the sponsor and not the other way around. And that's what's changed within the decentralized um, trials and DCT, I think, marketplace. But getting really specific on it, um, it's all dependent on what our partners really want to do with the technology and how they deploy it to the patients. So, for example, if you're Pfizer and you're working on, you know, a particular COVID-19 screening um, study and you wanted to see what people got, how many doses of the vaccine, whether they had Moderna or did they switch from the first shot to the booster to another you know, vaccination and how did that really affect you getting COVID or not? I'm just using this as an example. Um, you got to have a, a, a digital front door that enables patients to collect, own, and share their data with Pfizer. And so that's where Seekster helps. Now, when we founded the company, Craig, we were all about direct-to-consumer. And if we didn't start there, we wouldn't be where we are today. But I give, and I know some of you have heard this many times, maybe listening to one of my podcasts or not, I give Bill Gates all the credit. Um, after Bill Gates called me up personally and met with me one-on-one -on -one, uh, for three and a half hours in 2018, he was the one that told me, Artie, you're thinking about this wrong. The industry is thinking about this wrong. It's great. You built this great direct-to-consumer product, but you need to take this B2B, and that's how you're going to be able to make the most impact on patient lives because it will take billions of dollars of marketing to get the attention of patients. But if you can just strike one or two deals with pharma or other partners that are interested in a patient-centric operating system, then you will be able to impact those lives and get those use cases you know, built and the platform built out more. So we have to thank Bill so and we have to thank pharma for that. So let's talk a bit about how this happens, because it seems today there are few ways that people can be data enabling for patients. Um, we hear about tokenization, using aggregated data and getting permission tokens. We hear about HIPAA right of access. We hear about leveraging fire standards. And now we hear a bit about maybe new APIs coming around secondary to the the, the Cures Act. How does that actually work um, in terms of me getting my data? And, and are these different approaches actually complementary to one another? Yeah, so look, um, I think one thing is, um, you know, engagement was definitely missing, right? Engagement is so important to clinical trial success. 
And I think a lot of companies forget about this. I mean, being the quarterback at Seekster and having a perspective with multiple different, you know, um, companies that are contacting us and trying to understand how to get from point A to point B, we're seeing that, you know, they've been missing the engagement layer, right? Seekster enables not only the interoperability, but also that dynamic engagement layer. That's why patient registries are coming to us. This is so critical. So patient match data, Craig, is got to be high quality. It's got to be high fidelity. There can't be guesswork. And, you know, why patients are bringing together data is critical is because they or their caregivers are in the best position, ladies and gentlemen, to bring together their data. We've taken this very complex problem for both patients and enterprises, um, decentralized trial community, and put it together on one foundational piece. And it connects not only the patient to data, not only the patient's via their consents to share what they want on their terms for that trial, but also that researcher on the other end to be able to look at that data in a de-identifiable, tokenized way as well. And then lastly, I would add that, um, you know, before the pandemic, this was very hard. After the pandemic, it forced us to accelerate digital health tools and technologies by, I would say, a decade, right? So we're, we've been fast forwarded to 2032, in my opinion. And that's only because of the pandemic, because we were forced to figure out how to, you know, get data from patients because they weren't going to the trial sites. They weren't going to the investigator sites, but lots of patients had Artie. telemedicine and a lot of data on them. Artie, I want to open up, we're going to open up the room in just a minute. So for our audience, if you have questions, ideas, perspectives, go ahead and, and uh, hit the hand raising icon down at the bottom of your screen. Before we do that, Marjorie, are you, uh, how is Salesforce involved in this space? Are you collaborating with companies like Seekster uh, to help empower and scale uh, this type of data enabling future? Yeah, great question, Craig. Uh, so. Seekster is uh, our first uh, partner on this. Um, so using their operating system, we've uh, been able to allow um, you know those invitations, study invitations, be sent out. So that's one way to kind of invite uh, you know participants uh, and to uh, be able to leverage on that operating system. And um, that was all built on um, Salesforce, um, our metadata, our platform. We've been working this for, I would say already for several years, but uh, it came to fruition on April 12th when we announced the partnership. They're one of our app exchange partners and um, we have about, <clears throat> I would say, uh, you know, 7,000 app exchange uh, partners or listings with over 10 million customer installs. But uh, Sixer is one of our first uh, data as a service uh, into our platform on our health, uh, health vertical platform. So we're really excited about this. And um, we're, there's many more um, work to be done in terms of, uh, you know, that uh, streamlining the 
the way the information and data is being, you know, flowing through the operating system and into our health environment. And, and I'm sorry, Marjorie, what was this partnering program at, uh, at Salesforce? Oh, it's, it's our app exchange partner. It's a, it's a marketplace where partners such as Seekster can leverage our platform, uh, build their apps on it and deploy it uh, so that customers can leverage or opt, opt in and easily deploy onto, you know, our clouds, such as, you know, Health Cloud, as an example. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. So, um, Marjorie, you know, um, Obviously, people have heard of Salesforce. I'm not sure they'd be particularly familiar with their health or life science offerings. Maybe many people are, but I'd just love to hear. I mean, I've actually, over the years, uh, I'm a big fan of Mark Benioff, and I've actually pushed him a few times over the years saying, when are you going to get into healthcare um, previously? So can you explain to us a little bit what Salesforce is actually doing in life sciences and healthcare for those who may not know? Oh, yes. Great question. <clears throat> so... Um... So Mark Benioff um, started the Salesforce CRM about 20, what is it, 20, almost 22 years ago, 23 years ago. Um, <clears throat> so in the last uh, eight years, uh, we started to uh, create an industry platform and starting with uh, financial services and then um, our healthcare and life sciences. And so he's uh, deeply passionate about the community, as you know, is a wonderful person. He uh, deeply cares about the health of uh, the community. And so <clears throat> we built Health Cloud uh, in respect to provide a, a great engagement layer for, um, you know, B2B for our healthcare physicians, care coordination, as well as, um, you know, for patient. And patient could be members it could be um it's talking about as as already mentioned we're putting the center the customer in the center of um, the platform so we're building a lot of capabilities around engagement around um, analytics around creating exceptional great uh, journeys to provide for care coordination and uh, reminders for uh for example for caregivers or even for patients uh, to be adherent to their programs. So we're constantly improving the ways we could engage with our customers, including the contact centers that's providing the services for these um, uh, providers. Thanks to Marjorie. Craig, do you want to reset the room and ask Sure. For those who have uh, just joined us, welcome. You are in the Decentralized Trials Club here on Clubhouse. We gather here every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern, 9 to 10 Pacific. We spend an hour talking about different topics related to decentralized trials, the technology, the processes, the, the challenges and the solutions that are emerging. These topics come from you, the folks in our audience. And so if you have a topic that you would like to see covered here, reach out to Amir and myself through Twitter, LinkedIn, email, or otherwise. If you'd like to co-host like Artie and Marjorie are joining us uh, to help lead a topic, just let us know that's where these sessions come from. Be sure to follow the Decentralized Trials Club, tap in the top left. You can learn more about the club there. And as Amir always reminds me, 
tapped not only on the profiles of speakers you're hearing from, but click around in the room. The folks that are here with you, share your interest in today's topic. And, uh, you know, with uh, about 100 people joining us, uh, there are bound to be some new people for you to expand your network. Today's topic, we're talking about patients bringing in and controlling their electronic health record data, bringing that data together for a host of use cases. But for this topic today, how does that help to accelerate and empower clinical trial participation? How can having that data help to move patients more quickly through the screening process? How can we enable important use cases from e-source to precision medicine to long-term safety follow-up by enabling people to bring their data into our studies? And for decentralized trials, why in particular is it so important for patients to be at the center of bringing that data together where they may not be participating in a site that has EHR data on its own about the patient. And so for this topic today, we have Artie from Seekster, we have Marjorie from Salesforce helping to lead the conversation. Now we wanna hear from you. What are your thoughts, questions, concerns around this type of future that we're discussing and how we can start to bring it to life today? Artie, while we're waiting for some folks, I see there are some questions and perspective people are sharing in the chat. If there are any folks in the chat that'd like to come on stage, just go ahead and raise your hand. While we're letting a few folks up, Artie, can you comment a bit about the impact of policy on this space? Uh, I would imagine that different policy initiatives have been pretty favorable across all three recent presidential administrations in the U.S. around data enabling for people. Will we see more and what more do we need from policymakers to support this space? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hello, everyone that just joined as we've been in deep discussion here. What a great discussion here today, Craig, Amir and Marjorie. Just again, an honor to be on a call with the three of you. Um, so a couple of years ago, actually, uh, CMS and HHS both Seema Verma and Don Rucker called me up to understand what Seekster actually was. And we were very lucky to be thought leaders and thought partners in when the rules were being drafted for CMS ONC. A lot of people don't know this, and this is what's so great about Clubhouse. You'll be able to get, you know, <laughs> some, some behind the scenes experience that we've, we've had and how that came to fruition and how, you know, um, the rules got dropped. The rules actually got, were supposed to be dropped on March 9th. I was supposed to give the keynote talk on digital health and HL7 um, in Orlando on March 9th in 2020. That morning, um, things changed. Donald Trump was supposed to um, actually give the, the rulings uh, that day, because of all the work that Seema Verma and his administration had a, had done um, in the past, and so because Hims was in Florida, he actually invited himself. This is a true story, to Hims, and then that afternoon, Hims actually canceled because of um, the country shutting down because of COVID. Now, what happened is those rules still got dropped. It was on a conference call where, um, you know, folks that were part of it 
uh, were only able to join. And it was it was a private conference call that discussed the CMS ONC rulings for patient access, which most of you probably know as the 21st Century's Cures Act. Now, um, these rules and policies are great, Craig, but, you know, um, policies don't make health data as medicine. And so when we founded Seekster in 2016, I didn't think that in 2020, Seekster would become law. I never, ever thought that. If anyone tells you that, it's a complete lie. So it just happened to be that we were at the right place at the right time, and we were able to contribute to what a platform and an operating system would look like if you actually did give patients from the payer community, from the provider community, from the pharma community, not only access to their data, but how do they actually collect and own and share their data in a fully HIPAA compliant way. And Artie, is there something new in Cures 2.0 related to APIs and making this even easier going forward? Yeah, so, you know, you guys have probably heard of FHIR, which is Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources, um, F-H-I-R. But to me, that's really a buzzword. FHIR only covers a couple hundred providers. We've had it fully integrated since 2018. It's great new systems are slowly coming online, and um, the access to data is, is a little bit easier. But it's not one solution. Um, you have to take a multifaceted approach, number one. Number two, um, I do believe a patient-mediated method is the best way to get comprehensive data because we all have data in different um, silos, not just in different healthcare systems. But more importantly, it's not just about your EHR data. I think Amir said it really well you know, um, 20 minutes ago, um, it's beyond that, right? Um, what about your DNA data? Um, what about your um, Garmin data and your Apple Watch data? One says biking, one says cycling. How do you actually get that on one page? How do you standardize that data? So we spent a lot of time on the standardization of ICD-9, ICD-10, SNOMED codes, and all the dirty engineering that our industry didn't really want to do. And that's how that operating system is so valuable. All right, let's take a listen to our first guest on the stage, Anand, welcome. Uh, take yourself off mute, introduce yourself for the audience, share your question or perspective today. Sure, thank you. Uh, thank you, Amber and the panel. Um, so it's Anand from IQVIA. So I'm an ex-Mediate, um, worked with the technical services prior to IQVIA. So <clears throat> one of the burning questions, I think uh, Adi touched upon that topic, is that historically we do have issues um, getting data from multiple sources, especially in the DCT. So data exists across EMR records, which I think um, earlier it used to be bridge and now it's evolving into more of HL7 and FHIR. So the big picture where the data flows from EDC, FHIR, ECOVA seamlessly, everything interconnected, still seems to be a tough challenge. And I just want to get your perspectives on that. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm, I'm, I just want to get clarification. I didn't understand. Can you clarify what specific uh, challenge you're, you're pertaining to? So I think um, 
general integration and the availability of APIs where we can uh, use interoperability and um, even using platforms like Salesforce where we can seamlessly connect to other uh, EMI records mm -hmm. as a general use case. Yeah, look, I think, um, and this is the biggest problem. Um, I think everyone relies too much on APIs and too much on fire and things like that. This is where we did it really differently. And that's where that patient mediated method really comes in because you have to have different ways to fill the gaps of data that the APIs don't get. I actually think um, APIs are kind of worthless because it's just data in and data out. There's no engagement layer to it. The same way that when you have bulk de-identified data, um, and I know obviously you know a lot about that being from IQVIA. I know a lot about that being the CEO of Seekster. So, you know, it just depends on the use case. Static data um, is not the way to decentralize trials. Um, static data is going to become obsolete. You can mark my words on that. Um, Real-time data is, is here. It's now, and it's definitely the future. And the API data calls are great for just, um, you know, sharing of data between one enterprise and another. But the key thing is that dynamic layer um, from the patient always being involved and the patient being in control, the patients being able to consent what data in real time they can share with a clinical trial or decentralized trial. But already aren't, aren't all those engagement layers um, the beneficiary of APIs? I mean, not every API needs an engagement layer. It seems like engagement layers are fed through APIs to do their job, but not every, we don't want you know, a thousand engagement layers, we'd like things to be a little more rationalized and coordinated. Yeah, but you can have one operating system where you do one API call to get all of the data versus multiple API calls, right? Um, I think the key thing is um, that's what all patient portals claim to do, and they have it. They have failed at that completely. I think also Artie is um, is the representation of the data for consumption, right? So designing the experience in the best way possible contextually, which the OS has done, and the timeline of information that's presented uh, is is very very helpful and easy to be um, captured. The APIs are a great foundation to access data based on how you represent it and how do you design it for use is, is very top of mind for a lot of our customers. Thank you, Marjorie. And thank you, Anand, for setting up the question. I hope you'll stick around for a bit. We have Archana and then thank Fran. You. Uh, Archana, welcome. Introduce yourself for any who don't know you and share your perspective on today's topic. Hi, good morning, everybody from uh, sunny San Francisco here on the West Coast. Um, my name is Archana Sa, and I am the SVP for Digital and Decentralized Solutions at Medible. I head up the oncology um, solutions area. I wanted to um, ask a question, actually, um, in context of 
you know, oncology um, therapeutic area, not just the clinical trials, but when I talk about real world cancer care of patients, um, oftentimes these patients are going to multiple different um, hospitals, lab desk centers, imaging centers, where, um, you know, uh, biomarker centers, et cetera, where data is being collected in disparate systems and disparate um, locations. And then when they finally reach their treating oncologist to discuss their final treatment pathway, um, that data is not available. Um, you know, all of that data is not available to the oncologist to make real-time um, data-driven decision to come up with the right treatment modality oftentimes. Here's an example. Uh, if a patient may have gotten an imaging data done at a, at a place close to their home, far away from the academic center where they were seeing their, their treating physician, and that data got uploaded in as a PDF into the notes section of the EMR of the receiving hospital. Now, not into the actual, you know, so, or if at all it got loaded. My question to Ardi is, um, in the real-world scenario for oncology case, um, what is really needed? How can we really transform um, the way all this disparate data is being stored at the treating hospital level so that the patients can benefit from a data-driven right uh, treatment modality, modality that they will be put on for their survival? Um, that's that's what's missing here. Do we need something like um, really transformational, you know, from a regulations perspective? I know there's so much work going on in data interoperability, but I'm very curious to see how can we make this more practical and implementable given the healthcare system in America? Well, that is definitely the best question of the day and best comments Archana, thanks so much. It's so nice to uh, meet you on, on this Friday, and thank you for, for, for all that. Look, um, I think data needs to be complete and viewable by clinicians, physicians, and patients. All parties need to be have um, access to contextualize data that is easy to understand and analyze. We can't use a one-size-fits-all approach. And, you know, like, I'll take my Seekster hat off. You guys take your company hats off. We're just talking as people here. Just think about your own personal health data problems. Think about your mom across the country. Think about your kids. Think about your wife. Think about your um, husband. Think about your boyfriends, girlfriends, partners. At the end of the day, um, I always say at the Thanksgiving dinner table, we're always talking about either Bitcoin, um, 401ks, or health data. Those are the three topics. And I say, if you're not talking about those three topics, then you got to get a new family because then your family's not really talking about what's important in life. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, you can't use a one-size-fits-all approach. You need to have a dashboard for oncologists, right, if you're using the oncology um, uh, use case. And I've spent um, a decade and a half in oncology, clinical diagnostics, and very deep in the health data front. And uh, that's why I believe health data is medicine. And I don't know when you joined, but you know we ran a tumor board for my dad because of the dashboard. We don't just aggregate data, we visualize it. And what's beautiful about having Marjorie on this call from Salesforce the reason why Salesforce was interested in Seekster is because 
They have the CRM. But ladies and gentlemen, today, I'm going to tell you something new that you've never heard. With Seekster, we created the PRM, the patient relationship management tool. And so the CRM plus the PRM is the future. Um, and you need to be able to use it. If you can't use your own data, who cares if you have access to it? Who cares if there's policy? Who cares if there's laws behind it? You have to actually be able to use it for care coordination, for advancement of clinical trials and decentralized trials, for advancing humanity. And that's what gets us up every morning to do what we're doing. Thanks so much, Artie. We've got about nine minutes left. I wanna make sure we uh, get to all the voices here. We have Fran joining us here as well. Uh, Archana, by the way, please stick around in case there are any other questions or perspectives if you can. Fran, welcome, come on off mute, introduce yourself share your uh, question or perspective today. Terrific. Thank you, Craig. Uh, it's Fran Ross in sunny Coronado, California. Uh, clinical trials for more years than I want to talk about. And Artie, Marjorie, Ashna, the, the stories you all tell are so compelling for, for the promises of the future of human health. But right now it's like data, data everywhere and not a drop to think. You can steal that in time. What I want to know from you, Artie, was how challenging was it? How long was the experience in making sure that you could comply with the global requirements for data security and data privacy? If you could tell us a little bit about that journey, really appreciate it. And thanks again for what you've done. So nice to meet you, uh, Fran. And uh, did you say you're out of Coronado? I am. I'm, I'm always at the Hotel Dell there. You soon. And, um, Yes, so maybe we can meet up. Um, you're just right across, you know, a swim from downtown San Diego where we have our new offices at Seekster. So um, now, great, great question. I think um, a couple things. You know, a lot of startups, when they get started, um, they don't have the funding to even think about the security and privacy. Now, um, my story is different. My journey is different. My entrepreneurship um you know, world is different because I was able to um, actually make a heavy investment myself because I had a very large exit of um, building a billion dollar company before. So I put the first million dollars personally myself in 2016 um, into privacy and security, actually. And so before actually engineering anything, um, we built out our architecture on our um, security and privacy. And this is such an important topic that I would suggest we have a whole nother session on it. But to quickly get onto it, um, there's, a, there's a, 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 um, a healthcare system in San Diego here, for those that you know, called Scripps. They, they just had a very large breach that was all over the news. They got about 2 million or so patients on it. Um, Kaiser has about 11 million patients in the state of California. They're one of the largest healthcare systems. Um, Providence obviously has many different healthcare systems and, and one system. That one system for Kaiser or Scripps or whoever, MD Anderson, Cleveland Clinic, whether they're running on Cerner, Epic, Allscripts, Meditech, uh, Practice Fusion, um, eClinical Source, whatever the EMR is, these systems were built so long ago that they can't change their security and privacy manners. And what I mean by that, I'll share something else with you guys that you don't know. Um, if you're at Seekster, you know, because we've grinded through this 
for you know 30,000 hours the last six and a half years. And so there's one encryption key for 11 million patients out of Kaiser. There's one encryption key for scripts. And that's why they have breaches. When there's one breach, you know, everyone on this clubhouse call, there's, I don't know, 107 that have joined now, which is a great success for this Friday. Um, our data would have been breached. Now, when Seekster gets deployed to an enterprise um, and you have a million patients aggregate their data, we have 1 million encryption keys because the best way to protect data and privacy is to have 256-bit encrypted from the moment of data collection. And that is a beautiful thing. Artie, we are in our speed round now. We've only got about five minutes left. There's a great question in the audience uh, in the chat from someone who wasn't able to uh, jump on on voice. How do, uh, so I'm going to throw that to you and ask for like a, a quick answer because then I also want to get to Shalon, who's up here on the stage. Um, question about representation with underserved patient communities, underrepresented, often marginalized. How do we make sure that this opportunity for democratization and access to data includes everyone. Quick thoughts there, Artie. Yeah, you know, my dream is, and the reason why I started Seekster um, after I retired for two weeks in Hawaii and called my dad and I said, I want to do something with my life um, and give back. Um, and it was all because of family. We wanted to give back to patients. Both my maternal and uh, paternal grandmothers passed away due to Alzheimer's disease. And so I carry the APO3 gene and being a geneticist by training, that, that's why I started Seekster. I started for personal reasons to be able to get my grandmother's DNA and data, my mom's DNA and data, my DNA and data, and be able to pass it on to not only generations to come, but most importantly, to be able to advance science advanced research what we're all doing here on friday we could be doing something else but we're here you know discussing these amazing topics so my dream has always been to empower 7.7 .7 billion people on our small little spaceship here called earth but we need leaders like you to step up in order for that to happen uh, there's technologies like seekster that exist that can make it happen we are making it happen but you know we're making a dent um, a dent is not big but, enough. But, but, but Artie, are there, are there risks that you see about leaving certain people behind? What is needed to make this more consistently accessible, these tools and approaches? You have to think about uh, trial diversity and you have to think about the underserved community. Um, and you'll see something big on that with Seekster this month. I, I just teased a little bit, but um, that's our next announcement and it's around that. But for, for it to happen, it's got to be focused around the underserved community and trial diversity. Shalon, I am going to give you the mic for the last word to take us out. Uh, introduce yourself, share your perspective. I'm particularly glad to have you here because we are overrepresented with these California people. So I'm really glad to see someone who's uh, not out on the West Coast. Yep. So Texas represented here. All right. So um, so this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And so I'm a medical oncologist. I served at an NCI designated cancer center for 11 years and recently joined Science 37 as their VP for oncology. Um, while I was at an academic medical center, I was trying to fix the same problem that 
already has spent a lot of time fixing, but from a different perspective and to try and use EHRs as a, a normalization tool to integrate data from different vendors. But then of course you're just converting uh, information from one silo into a different silo. So I think the type of solutions that we've been talking about right now are tremendously important. And I, you know, congrats to the folks um, who've been working on these. I just wanted to put in one reminder, um, which I've said on this forum in the past, that as we think about breaking down these silos and making the data available, especially seeing, um, you know, CMS blue button initiatives, and of course the uh, patient-facing uh, data visualization and, and educational material around genomic sequencing is to remember that in a lot of rare diseases, and I'm of course biased from the cancer perspective, we need these solutions to work into the clinical, uh, to, to, to build on top of the relationships that people with cancer have with their existing providers, their existing physicians, their existing uh, patient providers, and to not disrupt those relationships. Or I think a little bit of annoyance in those relationships is really important, but at least for right now, the relationship that a patient has with their doctor is, 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 is extremely, extremely important. For the foreseeable future, if people have specific trial discussions and uh, they want to make decisions on their care, we want to try and make that relationship stronger and, and smoother. Um, so just that one reminder. Shalan, I think you are setting up a future topic for us to discuss. We'll grab you to come on back, maybe some other patient voices and talk about that. Uh, that trifecta and how we can um, use data perhaps to keep all those parties involved. Great closing perspective. Artie, Marjorie, thank you so much for setting up today's topic. Archana, Fran, Anand, and Shalon, thank you for jumping on stage and contributing your ideas and perspectives. Uh, the folks you heard from, be sure to give them a follow on LinkedIn, Twitter, keep hearing those voices. Amir, any other closing thoughts? Today? Wishing everyone a great weekend and keep going, Ozzy. Yeah, thank you so much, Craig and Amir and Marjorie. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want to thank um, uh, Deterra for you know having us. It's great to be part of this community. And if we can help anyone here, any family member, we do it for free. There's no cost. Please reach out. And we've helped lots of patients, not just my own family. And then if there's any you know companies that are interested in partnering you know you know how to find us thank you very much for having us happy lucky friday the 13th thanks everyone Good have day. a great weekend